0: Georgie. Last year, when I turned 50, I decided to find a therapist and resolve my issues with food once and for all. Two months into it, the 20-something therapist was making me feel like I was overreacting, and she didn't really have much guidance for me. So I'm hoping maybe you have some insight. I try to eat fairly healthy during the day, but at night, it's bad. And I don't understand why I do it or how to fix it. I invited Julie to talk with me for the podcast, and she took me up on it. We had a really lovely conversation that you'll hear in today's show. Despite having difficulties with food for more than 30 years, or maybe because she's had it after fighting this for 30 years, she's incredibly open, and she's game for trying something new. I'm putting this episode out as free content for you, and if you like hearing my recorded one-on-one sessions, subscribe to get them all swing by georgiefear.com slash podcast, or subscribe right in Apple Podcasts. Now, let's hear from Julie and get her started on the road to finally being done with her binge eating. This is the Breaking Up with Binge Eating podcast, where every listen moves you one step closer to complete food freedom. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my co-coach, Mary-Claire Brescia.
1: Uh, no, I started listening to the podcast and I tell you what, um as a 51-year-old college educated woman, you know, I feel like I'm pretty pretty intelligent and but the eating thing um can never seem to get my head wrapped around it. But when I started listening to your podcast, I identified with almost every podcast you put out. Awesome. That makes me so happy. Yeah, so I totally appreciate what you do. Thanks. I do quite like it. It's it's mm-hmm. interesting
0: because you know i know people are listening to the show i can see people download it but on my end like i don't get feedback from a lot of people so i'm always like did they like it <laughs> <laughs> did they th- was that helpful in that episode but like you never know so just like get accustomed to just talking into the void and hoping people hear something useful
1: yeah yeah i mean totally appreciate it, it feels nice to hear my thoughts coming from other people so. yeah
0: hundred percent, and I can I can relate to that myself. There's just so many times that we think the upsetting thoughts or experiences that we're having are like our own private hell. It yes. turns out that a lot of people are in the same boats.
1: Yes.
0: So I tell people when you when you're in a room with a hundred people, three to five of them have binge eating disorder.
1: That's crazy. So,
0: the question is, who are they, <laughs> or does it matter? But uh, that you're not the only one. That's a lot stable. of people, and Easy. one or two of them is male, statistically. Oh, I would well, not have. Another guessed. thing that a lot of people don't yeah don't anticipate, but like a, um, estimates are that a third to a half of people with bingeing disorder are male or identify as male, so very underrepresented.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was very surprised when you responded back. Um, you always say, email me. I'm right here, Georgie Fear. And I thought, I am emailing her today. Sweet. Awesome. <laughs> I'm very glad you
0: did. And you told me some stuff in your email. I have it in front yeah. of me. Um, let's see. So briefly, some of the things that I can summarize from here. You said you're currently f- 51. Mm-hmm. And binging and purging has been a behavior that started in middle school. Mm-hmm. In your 20s, kind of that behavior subsided for a little bit. You had your kids focus on being a good mom for them, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, they've now left the house yeah. and it's just you and your husband. Mm-hmm. And you described it as I eat well all day. And after dinner, your sweet tooth kicks in and you begin to bend on whatever sweets I can find. Tell me some more about that. I mean, one thing that comes to mind is, is boredom playing a role now that you don't have kids to attend to with so many hours of your day.
1: I don't know. And I can't even articulate it. I was totally focused on my kids, getting them, you know, even when they were in college, totally focused on them. And we still have one daughter who's, she's in college, but she's still living at home. Um, But we don't see her much. But I have—I was so excited when they, when, you know, our other three graduated and they were living on their own and they're off my payroll. And now what can I do for myself? Well, you know, what do I get to do? I haven't figured that out yet. What I want to do. And weight's always, always been forefront and center. I remember growing up and hearing my mom talk about, Ooh, she's gained weight. Ooh, she's put on weight. And then they'll lose weight. Ooh, she's too skinny. Ooh. You know, it was never, she's in her eighties now, still the same thing, you know, still the same. She's never going to change. But, but as an adult now I can look at that and I realize that I see that, but I, and, and like I said, I, I believe I'm an intelligent woman. I, I, I see these things. I understand these things, but I can't make myself stop thinking that way. So boredom when I'm at home by myself, I am busy. I'm out by the pool. I'm in the yard. I've got things going. I rarely on the weekends, I have to stop and go, Whoa, it's two o'clock. I haven't eaten anything yet. And I have to
0: stop. So you've got a full life during the day.
1: Yeah, but then in the evenings, something about that. Once I have dinner, and and I think I said in my email, I try to eat fairly healthy during the day. I mean, I eat like yogurt and granola for breakfast. Literally, have nuts and berries for lunch because I hate packing a lunch. It is it is I hate cooking. I hate packing lunch. Okay, um, but I teach school. I get thirty fast minutes for lunch. So. I down a handful of blueberries and I down a handful of pistachios and almonds and I have a a kind bar in there. If you know, I'm extra hungry. Okay. But I come home from work and make dinner right away. We have the, again, I hate cooking. So we have the home fresh delivered and I cook one of those meals for my husband and I for dinner. It's a great solution. Yeah. Yeah. And then after dinner, I think, Ooh, I think I'll have a bowl of ice cream. Well, I'll go in and have a bowl of ice cream. But then when my husband goes up to shower, I'll go in and have another bowl of ice cream. And then maybe while he's in the shower, I'll also get out the cookies. And I'll also, and I know logically in my head, he doesn't care what I'm eating. He probably isn't even thinking about what I'm eating. Okay. But for me, the more I can eat while he's out of the room, I don't know, I don't know how that makes me feel. I can't even think about it. But it's it's almost like when I and since I've been listening to your podcast, I've really started to try to think about it a little bit more. I'm trying to be a little bit more aware of when i'm doing it why i'm doing it what i'm thinking when i'm doing it and i think i also said in there that it's almost like a rebellion don't tell me what to eat i'm 51 i can eat whatever the hell i want to eat yeah you know and so when he goes upstairs or i'll just go binge on whatever we happen to have and and recently we just stopped keeping sweets in the house has that helped it? That has helped because there's nothing there for me to eat. But he's so sweet; he'll say, "I'm going to the store. Do you want something?" I'll say, "Can you grab me a box of pinwheels while you're there?" He's so kind; he'll bring it back. And I mean, you know, literally, he'll go upstairs to bed, and I'll, then I'll go eat the box of pinwheels when he's not looking. Okay.
0: So you're choosing to eat in secret, not because of any current judgment that you're receiving
1: not from, from anyone me. else. <laughs> But potentially from yourself, yeah, likely internalized from your parents. And I can also tell you, when I look in the mirror, I see two things: I see my big boobs and my belly. You know, that's what I see. I don't even look at my face. I never even look at my face. It's my boobs and my belly. And my husband and I have been married for fifteen years. He is my blessing after a horrible marriage. The man is not allowed to see me naked, and and he's not okay with that. But he's kind to me about it and I wish it were different and I've tried but and it makes me want to cry to say this but I truly feel like if he sees me he is gonna think "Ooh, that's pretty disgusting I'm gonna have to go look elsewhere Mm, that's a really scary
0: thought you know that like fear of rejection or abandonment
1: in my first marriage it was a very bad marriage and in, in, in with that man in particular I always felt like I was in a um, competition with every other woman in the room, mm. and so I think that's kind of bled its way in. And my husband knows my past; he's okay, he understands, he gets it. But I don't want to be that way for him anymore, and I want to be more comfortable with the way I look. Okay, and I, and I think the binge eating, the way I look at myself, all that's all kind of wrapped up together. And I'm just ready to say, okay, I'm done with that. I'm ready to deal with it, and. Not think about food from the moment I wake up to the time I go to bed. What am I going to eat? What am I not going to eat? Because that's on my mind constantly. Are there going to be donuts at the meeting? How am I going to stay away from those donuts? Teachers, there's always food. Yeah, there's- I know it. And I can't go in the office today because they've got food on the counter. And if I go in, I'm going to grab a handful. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. So-, so
0: it sounds like you're using a lot of restraint and mental bandwidth during the day to not eat quote unquote bad foods. Mm -hmm. And then there's a bit of a reversal in the evening when you feel like you're alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever been different during the day um, in the sense of like, has there been a time in your life where you weren't dieting and you were just eating a bit more freely? When I was pregnant.
1: Oh, tell me about
0: that. What was that like? It's a pretty special time. I bet.
1: I will tell you that is, I enjoyed being pregnant. I was horribly sick, but, um, the first three months, but, and I, and I loved it because that was the one, the two times I had, I, I had two children and those were the two times in my life when I wasn't concerned with the amount of food I was eating because I knew I needed to eat for my, my, for my, the baby. Yeah. So I, I made sure I ate three great meals a day. There was a lot that I couldn't eat. I mean, my taste changed when I was pregnant, but those were the two times that food was not an issue for me because I knew it really didn't need to be an issue for me at that time.
0: What a nice vacation to not (laughs) have limited food for a number of months. Yeah. Was it hard to go back to limiting food after that?
1: I'm trying to think when my kids were little, I remember certain times when they were very little. And, um, I was still trying to get rid of the baby weight and I gave up sugar for a a while, lost like 15 pounds and I was working out on a regular basis. And, um, that's kind of, I think my son was probably two about this time. And I remember one day I had given up the sugar. I'd lost my weight going to jazzercise, And then one day I came home and said, I'm just going to have one Oreo. That was it. The whole thing was blown. Yeah. Do you
0: recognize black or white thinking in yourself in other areas of your life or does it seem
1: relegated to food? I'm pretty black and white. I'm very, I say I'm OCD. I'm really not OCD, but I have, I like things a certain way. And it's, and it, and it's when they're not that way, I'm okay, but I prefer things a certain way. There's not a whole lot of gray, but it kind of depends on the subject. But with, with, And with food, I try when I talk to other people, Georgie, I I probably sound like I'm I I watched a a documentary about sugar and how bad it is for you. And I talked to my friends like man, sugar. It's horrible. You know, and I started looking at sugar and everything. I'm going to be cutting out sugar so I don't eat sugar in front of those people that I talked to about not eating sugar. But then when I come home, I'm going to go eat sugar. But I told these people that I was cutting out sugar. So that that in itself is not black and white. That's I'm going to say face, I guess, for for these people. I don't know. Well, it's black and white to say I'm going to cut out sugar rather than
0: maybe I should watch my sugar intake, you know, like maybe try and have a low sugar diet versus a no sugar diet. So there is some black.
1: Yeah, that's very black and white because it's either I do it all or I don't do it at all. Yeah. Um. A friend of mine told me once she was also, you know, working on dieting and she said, I heard a funny, um, comparison, you know, when you drop your phone, you don't stomp on it. Exactly. So when you, if this, you, you, you mess up your diet, you just don't go binge on everything. You know, I thought that's a really great comparison. Cause I do stomp on it. If I eat one cookie, I'm going to eat the whole package cause I've screwed up. So we'll start over again tomorrow. I think that's going to be one of
0: the opportunities for you to gain some headway through this situation is going to be with reducing the black or white thinking because it's a, it's a practice to get like black and white thinking is not like our hair color or our height where it's like, you're stuck with it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's very much a style that we learn and you may have picked it up from parents or other other people in your environment, but it's also something we can unlearn. So if you begin to notice that I'm thinking, I have to give this up. I have to cut this out. Those are the sort of black and white thoughts that are really common for people. I've blown it is another one. Um, Those are unhelpful because they make us feel like it can't possibly be worse. This is already the worst that things can possibly be. So I'm not going to try anymore. And it's not true. Because typically, even though things are imperfect at that moment, we can make them worse. We can stomp on the cell phone and light our home on fire, and <laughs> yeah, do all sorts of self-destructive things. Um, and if the black or white thinking is like, no, everything's already as bad as it can possibly get, then we it's uh, it's an excuse to stop trying. So we, if we can get ourselves to try just a little bit more, and it tends to go like a lot of these thought patterns um, chunk together, mm-hmm. like perfectionism black and white thinking, procrastination, all sort of go together because people have very high standards. And then once it's not perfect, it's crap. Right. And so what we would like to cultivate if uh, somebody's in that mindset is to start being able to say, you know, it's not perfect and I can still go for pretty good. I can still forgive myself in this moment for making an error or a mistake, but still think I'm okay. I'm not the world's worst person because I made an error or misspoke or mm. whatever small error it is. So I'm jotting some notes down. That's one of the things I just wrote, um, you know, black or white thinking sort of looking at ways to move away from that. Another thing that I kind of alluded to earlier was overeating in the evening or feeling like I just can't stop frequently goes together with the really, really restrained eating during the day. Mm-hmm and people tend to not realize that they're two sides of the same coin and they feel like, well, can I just stop the overeating? I want to keep the the restrained eating during the day. But it's like you're pulling back the pendulum. So you can't prevent the forward momentum unless you stop pulling back the pendulum. And I'm not saying eat everything all day long. You know, we can talk about what's like, you know, a healthy restraint system, but I think you're so focused right now putting so much effort into it. That at the end of the day, I can't blame me for not having a whole lot of effort to be like, no, it's hard to stop after five Oreos when we stop. I'm going to put the package mm-hmm. away because you've been using that that muscle
1: mm-hmm.
0: all day. Um, so that's another thing that I think might be an opportunity. We can talk about some ways you might try and think a little differently during the day, which may give you a little better chance at night. Okay. The rebellion bit that you identified in your email and that you kind of spoke about earlier, I think that's also interesting like you definitely fear judgment from other people. Yeah. And usually that goes along with us judging ourselves harshly.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So it's like, you can't escape other people's judgment because you're doing it to yourself as well. For the rebellion sort of thing. I like to reinforce to people how much power they have. Like, I'm a grown ass woman. I can eat all the cookies I want. I got a wallet. I got a car. I can, get, I can get anything I want right now. No one's going to tell me I can't do it. And possibly even, you know, some people find the exercise really helpful of pushing themselves to eat foods in front of other people, even if they normally wouldn't because they're like afraid of that judgment thing. Um, because if you're able to get to the point where you say, I can go to a food court and order an ice cream cone and sit down and eat my ice cream cone. I feel comfortable with that. It, it diminishes the drive to like do it in secret Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Cause you're recognizing like, there's no, there's no one policing me that
1: I'm getting one over on. And I, and logically I know that, I mean, I do, I just have to take that step to move past it, I guess, because I, I do understand that my husband does not give a shit about what I eat but when I sit and eat in front of him, if I go back for a second helping in my brain, what I, I hear him, he's not saying a word, but in my brain, he's saying, you're really going back for another piece of that. I feel like that's what he's thinking. Mm. So you're not
0: getting the corrective experience of going, wow, I'm eating this. He's not saying anything. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He, no, I You're know, filling I, in the words for him. I, yes. And, and I think I even mentioned that, you know, even when he says, hey, babe, you want to go on a walk? What I hear is, "Okay, fatty, let's get you off the couch and get you moving." And I think that's literally because that's kind of what I'm saying to myself. You that's, know, that's the that's like verbatim what you wrote in your email
0: too. Yeah, what yeah. I hear is, "Hey, fatty, let's get you up and moving."
1: And and that is he's one of the kindest people ever.
0: So he would never actually say that.
1: No, and he doesn't care what I look. I I, I know that, but in my brain, that's what I hear. Hmm. And even Not- though he said silently while I'm eating my meal. If I go back for, you know, another piece of pizza and I, I pay very close attention to what he's eating. If he's had two pieces of pizza, I'm only going to eat two pieces of pizza because I don't want him that I'm, you know, overeating, but then I'll take the pizza into the kitchen. And while I'm putting it away, I'll have two more pieces while he's not watching. So I don't know how to get past that step of He really doesn't care, Julie. So why do you care so much? Why is it so important for me to think that about myself? I think there's ways to do this, for sure. Whenever we
0: have a self-defeating belief, such as everyone's judging everybody I put in my mouth, which isn't true, but if we hang on to it, it sure makes life hell. The only way we'll part with that is if we allow ourselves to collect contradictory information so we can go... I ate blank and nobody said anything. I ate blank and no one said anything. I did this and no one minded. So-and-so offered me an ice cream. So obviously they're not judging me for eating it if I accept it. So if you collect those things, that's how you have updated information that you can reshape your belief on. But right now you're not letting yourself have those corrective experiences because you're filling in the hateful voice that's not there in reality. So. What I would think about is if you want to have these corrective experiences, like I want to lose the idea that other people are going to judge me based on everything that I eat, you have to poke at that belief and deliberately try and counteract it. Um, So eating dessert in front of your husband, and you can even clue him in, be like, so honey, I know this has been colossally unfair to you, but I actually tell myself all sorts of nasty things and imagine they're coming from you when I eat ice cream. I know, I know, it's, it's silly, but I want to change this. So now I'm just going to eat dessert with you and we're just going to enjoy dessert. Can we do that tonight? And he's going to be like, yeah.
1: Uh-huh.
0: He, he's a dude. So he's like, oh, I get dessert, sweet. Um, <laughs> doing that repeatedly can actually really fast shift the belief. Okay. So, um, it may also be easier to start with people that aren't your husband because obviously he's someone whose opinion is incredibly important to you. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people find it's easier to do something in public where you don't know anyone, such as I'm going to go to Starbucks, I'm going to order a cookie or a muffin or whatever looks good that day. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to eat it in a public place because there's nothing to be ashamed of. I did not steal this. (laughs) There's nothing immoral going on here. I'm a human being eating food that she paid for. I'm allowed. Yeah. And when you eat it and you look around and people aren't going, oh oh my God, you see what she's doing? Like, she shouldn't be doing that. Like, because that's not what people do in real life. That's the corrective experience that you're opening yourself up to. Like, wow, I'm eating this. And if I'm not projecting it, I can see that people are still accepting me. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm still part of the world. I'm still fitting in, even though I'm a human being who likes to eat a wide variety of foods. Does that sound like something possible to try? Yes. Doesn't have to be easy. We're going for possible.
1: Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> and my husband will get a big laugh out of it. If I, if I share with him, you know, the thoughts and there, and there, cause there's been a couple of times where, you know, I have said, so you're not really thinking so-and-so and so-and-so and he'll go, Did you think that's what I was thinking? You know, you know, and I'm like, okay, yeah, no, just, just asking. So, okay. Yeah, I can give that a shot.
0: Okay. So open yourself to corrective experiences. Okay. Specifically uh, against the belief that everyone is judging you by the,
1: or I'll say first person, everyone's judging me by the food I eat. And, and, and the way that I look, I have vivid memories of my aunt. I'm, I am built like my grandmother and my two aunts. Mm-hmm. My build is different than my mom's build. And I have memories of my mom talking about my aunts after they left at Thanksgiving or after they left at Christmas saying, they put on way they look like a balloon tied in the middle. Oh, man. And now as a 50 year old woman, and I, I see that I look like them. And I'm not nearly as large as they were, but I see that I'm built more like them. And that playback is still, when I look in the mirror at my belly and my boobs, and that's what I hear. A balloon tied in the middle, a balloon tied in the middle. How do I get rid of that
0: echo? Well, I can't blame you for picking it up, your child. And so you learn from the adults in your life what's important. And clearly they were giving you messages that, somebody's appearance is the thing you comment on. You know, it would have been great if they had said, you know, I'm really inspired by how she goes after things so bravely, you know, just mm-hmm. commenting on the person that they were just interacting with and not the body shape. Unfortunately, not all of us grow up in environments. Right. Where, <laughs> where people modeled that, but it's not too late to help ourselves. And so what I think can be helpful is if you're able to identify A lot of these things as belonging to your parents or belonging to your aunt or whoever originated them in your life, Mm -hmm. that can help with separating yourself from it because it's not coming from you. It's like you were infected by this idea, but you can reject it as well. I'd say an accurate way to look at it is a minority of people, maybe five in a hundred, are going to look at everybody in the world
1: and judge them based on their weight. It's going to happen. Five in 100? In my brain, it's 95% of the people are hmm. looking, judging. What kind of I've, evidence do you have? None, George. I have none.
0: <laughs> I have none. Well, that's tricky. That's tricky. So you've got this number, but we don't have any evidence. Yeah, I, I have no evidence of that. So why don't we leave it as we don't know? It's just an X in algebra. Okay. Some percentage of the population is judging everyone in the world based on their their weight and appearance. Yeah. Can we do anything about that? Not a whole lot. You've already acknowledged that your husband is not one of those X. True. He's a kind guy. Seems to have other things that are important to him. Very, yeah. He appreciates you and your history and everything you've been through, and he loves you. So you know that it's not 100% of people. We've got at least one who's not there. I'd like to think I'm one of them, too. <laughs> so now we know two. We've got two people who don't judge people based on their, their weight. Um, and it makes me think maybe the people that are judging people based on their weight, I don't need to impress them maybe I just want to focus on the one minus X, the people that aren't, (laughs) the people that aren't, the people that are actually going to evaluate me based on my character and how I give to other people and how I listen and how I relate with them. So I know that it's so easy to say and so much harder to do because it's tough. Like I, I get it as a woman who's, you know, subject to the same media stream
1: that is like, your value is in the mirror. Well, and I have three girls and I tell them the same things that you're telling me. And it's so easy for me to tell them that girl, you are beautiful because you are so smart. You graduated from the university of Texas. You have a degree. You have, you know, you are going out there. You've got yourself at a good job. You have everything going for you. It's easy for me to tell my girls that.
0: Okay. Well, this is good. That means you speak the language. I do speak the language.
1: How often have you tried to do it to yourself? I don't do it to myself. So you haven't tried? I, I, yeah. I I mean, I guess not. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Because like I said, logically, I know all this stuff. I know it, putting it into practice, telling somebody else to do it. I'm like, it's easy, just go do this. You know, come on, babe, you've got, you are rocking it, you're doing awesome. But then when I- Myself, it's it's completely different. Well,
0: I think it's worth practicing. And if you haven't practiced it yet, then we can't say it doesn't work. Okay. So, you know, learning to direct some of that self-compassion back to yourself can be really helpful. And it can give you a language to replace the oh, she looks like a balloon tied in the middle. Because you want to replace that language. So we want to quiet the critic, the judgment the nasty voice and replace it with a voice that is like kind and understanding. And probably the way you speak to your daughters is the best way to remember it. Like, how would I speak to my daughters about this? Um, I'm looking for a book title because I read a book that was super, super helpful in terms of recognizing how the way we treat ourselves reflects the way that people treated us growing up. And sometimes that's harsh. Uh, uh, Um, So um, I will find that title and I'll put it in the show notes and email it to you because I can't come up with it right now.
1: There's a very good book on this stuff. It seems like you have a lot of painful memories. I mean, growing up, we had a, you know, standard, felt like a standard family. Mom, dad, brothers. Dad had a great job. My mom didn't work. She's a stay-at-home mom. I was first kid to go to college. My other two brothers went off and did something else. So I was I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day and it had to do with trauma. I don't remember which one it was, but, and I've thought that to myself before is that I can't look back and think of any real trauma, but I do, my brother and I have talked often about this. We talked a lot and we can look back and say, Dang, our parents. You know, we can laugh about the things that they said, the things that they did when we were growing up, and how. And for us, we're like, "Ah, that was the seventies. You know, I mean, it was. This is how parents (sighs) in the seventies, I guess. You know, but i i um I've thought about the trauma thing, but in my brain, I can't come up with anything. And so for me, I'm thinking, there's no trauma, Julie. You're just, you're just little. You're just having these crazy thoughts, but no real reason behind it.
0: It doesn't have to necessarily my right? trauma doesn't have to be a word that we use for it. It could simply be that you have painful memories or that you've or specifically that you internalized a standard of evaluating people based on appearance. And so you have the belief that other people are evaluating you based on your appearance and your weight specifically. Very true. So there, as I said, there's a lot of like really good books. I I I'm a big fan of consulting professionals for that sort of thing. But at the same time, I've been helped by some awesome books and wasted money on some lousy professionals. So <laughs> your mileage varies, right? You know, depending on if you can get a really good person or not. Um, but I think that's worth some, that's worth bearing in mind okay. that if you can treat the, just those really difficult superficial standards as something that's old as left over that's not ideal and clearly you know that it's not ideal because you didn't want to raise your kids that way right you wanted to raise
1: your kids cautious about what i said and spoke in front of my kids in regards to food and their their body types and how they look i was very cautious about that i wanted to make that was not something my girls were going to focus on
0: okay So now we just want to include you in the people that deserve that treatment. Okay. (laughs) All right. I know it's, it's, it's a daunting task and it won't change overnight, but changing it a little bit helps you change it a little bit more, helps you change it a little bit more. Okay. So if you notice yourself being mean, a lot of times it happens in front of the mirror, (laughs) challenge yourself to try and speak to yourself just a nudge differently. Okay. Um, Okay, so we got some stuff here. We're going to work on the black and white thinking, recognizing Uh what some of your black and white thoughts are, and then just substitutions for them. The second thing is the rebellion. Mm -hmm. Get some corrective experiences. Dare to eat dessert in front of someone. Because as long as you're hiding from something, it's very difficult to intellectually convince yourself it's not bad. Like the longer you're avoiding, like just just avoiding eating in front of people will reinforce the belief that it's something you shouldn't be doing. Okay. Okay. Uh, And then
1: third. Okay. Go ahead. When you say act differently, so if I take my, you know, six scoops of ice cream, and then go eat it in front of my husband. He's still going to be okay with that. And I'm still not going to be okay with that. Um, I, I don't. I am still not going to be okay with it. Because I feel like I should be able to restrain. I'm a grown woman. I should be able to restrain myself a little bit more. And And eating something like that in front of him just... I don't really know how to say it. I just, I mean, it's almost like a very embarrassing thing for me. Sure. So I can definitely appreciate that. It's, it's not going
0: to happen in one step. It's part of a chain reaction sort of thing. So what makes somebody eat six scoops of ice cream tends to be emotional. Nobody's like, I'm really hungry. And that's why I eat six scoops of ice cream. (laughs) It tends to be like, I'm frantic. This feels like a limited opportunity. I want to get it while I can or I want to numb some discomfort. Like That's what's going on there. It's generally an uncomfortable emotional state. What's preceding the uncomfortable emotional state is, or underlying might be the better (laughs) better phrase, is that sense of having to do it in secret because it's shameful, the judgment around it. So if we can start by not judging yourself so hard for just eating ice cream, period, whether it's one scoop or 10 scoops, you're going to be able to calm down a little more emotionally and that will lead to more stable ground where you can better assess how much ice cream you actually want to eat. Right. So it's like once we get the rebellion and panic and shame and guilt out of the picture, you'll probably find it easier to eat more moderately. So don't feel like you have to like fix everything in one fell swoop.
1: And that's, that's my, that's my black and white brain. It's gotta be fixed tomorrow.
0: All right. So we got one right there. I'm writing it down. So I'm writing down that thought, that thought gotta be fixed tomorrow.
1: And, and I've thought about this too, because I remember my mom worrying about her weight one time and thinking to myself, who cares? You're 60 years old. Nobody cares what you look like, mom, you're 60. Okay. I'm 51 now. So nobody cares what I, but I do. And I really, don't I see people who go on diets for for a year and they lose weight they look great I can't think about going on a diet for a year I don't ever see that type of longevity because in my brain it needs to be fixed now and if I can't lose 10 pounds by the end of the month not doing it and I never I can't say oh I'm gonna give up sweets my my stepdaughter said I'm she had a baby and said, I'm giving up sugar until I lose all this baby weight. Baby's three years old. She's just now going back on sugar. And I'm amazed at how well she's done because I, I can't ever look that far ahead. It's now or nothing. I guess that black and white again. A different
0: flavor of black and white. That's the temporal discounting. Um, I mentioned it in one of the podcast episodes as delay discounting. Like when something that's far off doesn't hold any value for us. Like, I don't okay. give a crap if you're going to pay me $100 a year from now. I want $2 right now.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Because yes. that's worth more. Yes. So, again, that's a thinking style. It's not one you chose, but it's one you have. Uh huh. Yes. And I- there are times and places where each thinking style is beneficial. In many cases, if you're go for broke right now, you're going to have a lot of exciting stories. <laughs> You're going to have uh, the ability to really pour yourself into a project, like full steam ahead, mm-hmm. but it's got drawbacks and the drawbacks come when it comes to achieving long-term goals. Can you imagine a freshman in college sitting there going, if I can't have the degree by the end of this month, I'm just
1: not doing this. I never well, get a college degree. <laughs> it sounds very logical when you say it. That's something I'm going to have to start thinking more about. hmm
0: A lot of times, I mean, everybody I work with wants this to be done fast. Can't blame them. If I go to the physiotherapist, I'm like, can you cure me in one visit? Like, my neck hurts. Like, can you straighten that out for me by four o'clock tomorrow? We all want fast results. And sometimes that can make people easy prey for marketing. (laughs) Because they'll promise you the fast
1: fast fix. The diet pills, the... The juicers, all of that, yeah. Mm -hmm. They they don't work in the long run. Hmm.
0: So I think at some point, it's helpful if we, I hate to sound high and mighty, like, well, really, you should think this way. But like, there's a benefit to accepting that we're going to have months and years ahead of us. So if it takes a little bit of time to get to a certain spot, okay, it's better than not getting there because we kept sprinting to try and get it done. So when it's hard to wrap your brain around, as you said, dieting for a year or sticking to a healthy eating plan, as I'm changing your words, (laughs) for a year, when people say to me, like, I just don't understand, Like, how could I do that for like month after month after month after month, like this is just so much time. I reassure them it's not gonna be that uncomfortable. This is not like doing a year's worth of work at your job in the span of a week. Mm -hmm. This is paste. Like, so if we work on one skill for a few weeks and then you get that skill, then you can add another skill and you can work on that skill for a little bit. And then when that gets a little more comfortable, you add another skill. So traditional diets, the type that make you lose 10 pounds in a month are super uncomfortable. And that's why we want them to be over yesterday. Mm -hmm. But if you're thinking like, you know, if I go about this just in the sense of like skill development, like I wanted to learn to dance or I wanted to learn Spanish and I just give myself some time to accumulate skills. It's not that bad. It's doable. Mm -hmm. So it, it can just be the sort of thing. It's like a new thought to try on, you know, maybe this weight loss or getting into a healthy lifestyle or changing my relationship with food or changing the way I feel about my body is something that's going to take me some time so I can, take the pressure off give myself some time to experiment with it
1: okay i teach um kindergarten now but i taught special ed for 18 years we task analyze everything for our sped kids we want you to learn how to you you just struck a chord with me when you said this and this is what i'm i'm making a parallel with you know if i'm teaching a child with autism how to toilet train first we practice pulling our pants up and down yeah toilet. We're not going to be potty trained in one day. I've never really looked at it that same way. Yeah. I'm not going to stop thinking this way and learn how to eat healthy and not binge and not starve myself all in one day.
0: Yeah. This is skill development. It's going to be layers of skills on top of each other.
1: That makes sense to me when you say it like that, that, yeah.
0: Cool. I'm glad that that was a little fresh view on it yes um and some stuff comes before other stuff everybody wants to lose weight and i'm often telling people it's like you you can lose weight i am not of the people that are like you just have to accept yourself at any size like you can totally get to a a body that you're happy with but it comes after repairing disordered relationship with food Mm -hmm. because as we talked about with like the, the emotion and the panic and the scarcity and the judgment leading to the eating six cups of ice cream experience. It's like, once we've gotten to the place where I'm comfortable just eating food, I eat food in front of other people. I eat food on my own. I eat, you know, without denial or shame or, you know, other emotional baggage in there. Like I'm just eating. Then it's so much easier to be like, you know, let me look at the food I'm eating and see if any of it isn't serving me. Let me see if any of it's extra. Let me see if any of it's actually causing me stomach aches. Because if I eat up to X point, I feel okay. But if I eat that extra 25%, I just don't feel so good. But we can't tune into our bodies while our brains are like, panic, everybody's judging you and there's donuts in the break room. <laughs> yeah. Like it's such a, like an emotional thing. We can't tune into our body signals when all of that's going on. So kind of like if you do the emotional work, get cool with food. So you guys are like friends again, then it's much easier to be, okay, what do you say? We try and take this in like a sort of health and fitness direction, but you can't go in a health and fitness direction or try and reduce your food intake. If you're still emotional about it or feeling shame and judgment around food. Right. You have to deal with that first. Totally get that. Cool. So we've got an example here of a black or white thought. Got to be fixed tomorrow. So I wrote that down. And the next order, alternative thought. And what I wrote is, this is going to take some time. This is skill development. I'm going to start figuratively pulling my pants up and down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what a lot of people do to help themselves through this process is... Get a notebook, a journal, a calendar, something on your phone and start trying to log thoughts that fall okay. in the black or white thinking or the really nasty judgmental thing. Or even if it's a worry, like I'm so worried about what they're thinking of me. Anything that just sounds like the aunt voice mm-hmm. the mom voice, um, the diet voice is one way that people... Characterize it, the voice that tells you you're not good enough, that you absolutely must change. Because if you have a list of those thoughts, now you can come up with responses to them. So for each thought, we can come up with sort of like the 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 way I would say this to my daughter. And when we have, you know, those kind of kinder, more balanced alternatives, and you read them a few times, they'll start to come up in the moment. So the next thing you know, you're at the department store, you put on a dress. And you go, wow, I look like a balloon tied across the middle. Hang on a second. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This dress isn't flattering me, so I'm not going to purchase it. But I know whatever I wear to this party, I'm there to celebrate Jane's anniversary.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, so in the moment, the old thought will still fire, but then the response is right there behind it. Okay. And the next step that will happen after you practice the responses is the old thought goes, yeah, I look like... (sighs) No one's going to care what I look like. You know, it, it stops earlier and eventually they stop coming up, and your new habitual way of thinking is the more balanced kind. So it's a few steps. I realize I threw a lot.
1: Okay. So I'm going to start. I'm going to take some notes on what thoughts are coming to my head so Holy. that.
0: And I can help you over email with uh, responding to them if you have trouble. It's normal to have some difficulty coming up with alternative thoughts. You're like, I don't know. This is the truth, isn't it? Like, no, it's not the truth. (laughs) Um, So we can practice through those over email if you like, or we can do another call to practice work in the sabotaging thoughts, the black and white thoughts, the judgmental thoughts. Before I let you go, I want to talk just a little bit about the way you ate when you were pregnant. Mm Mm-hmm when you weren't concerned with limiting food because you knew that you needed it for the baby. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that that's 100% something you can just do right now from this day going forward, be like, just going to pretend I'm eating for two. (laughs) (laughs) But is there a piece of that, that you can try on such as I don't have to be on a diet. I could just eat or, I could just try and eat healthfully, but not necessarily lose weight Mm -hmm. or the 80, 20 sort of thing. Like I'm going to try and eat
1: healthy 80% of the time and 20% of the time I'm going to let myself have treats. I even tried a weekend thing, you know, I'm not going to eat any sugar during the week, but on the weekend, if I, if there was something I wanted during the week, I'm going to go get it and I'm going to allow myself on the weekend. How did that go? Um, actually that went fairly well because by the time the weekend got here, there were some things I was like, oh, I don't feel like going to get in that. I'm, I'm good. You, you know, I'm so glad that you had that experience because you yes. didn't, you didn't tell yourself, I don't really want
0: it right now, but God damn it. I'm going to have it anyway, because I waited six days to have it. Yes. So you had the experience that even if you want something one moment, you might not want it the next moment.
1: Yes. And, and, and even my husband at one point said, um, oh, I bought, you know, some oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. Oh, but I forgot you can't have sugar. And I remember saying, I can't have sugar. I'm just eating it on the weekends. Yes. But then when the week came around, I was like, eh, not really in the mood for that right now. You know? And so I bypassed it. So you had a little, so one. Yeah. Yes.
0: You didn't really take a black or white approach to it. You said, maybe sometimes I can say yes. Maybe sometimes I can say no, which is a great skill to have in life, right? We don't want to always say yes or always say no. We want to be able to do either one. I find um, it can be difficult for people to try and avoid something that they really enjoy for six days. It's like a long time. It's like six days without seeing your honey. It's <laughs> so sometimes people find it's easier to do a daily concept. So if you frame it as each day, I'm going to go for 80% healthy, 20% just for fun. That can help because you're not building up six days of restraint or missing. Mm-hmm. So that might be something um, a lot of people will say, I'm going to try and keep it to one treat a day. We think of treats as being foods that we eat just for enjoyment, not for nutrition. Some people like a glass of wine. I'm a chocolate lover myself. Some people are more into cupcakes, ice cream, you know, whatever it is. But if you simply say, I'm going to try and make the most nutritious food choices I can during the day. And one time, I'm going to choose one time every day. I'm going to choose to eat something just for enjoyment because enjoyment is it, as essential as any vitamin. And that will be anti-black or white thinking and a little bit less restrained. And if you do it in front of somebody else, you're just like hat-tricking <laughs> right here. It was like, triple. Because <laughs> I think all of that is going to feed into alleviating the nighttime behavior that you don't like. It's going to make it just a little bit easier. So... I've thrown a lot at you and you're gonna try and do all of it at once because we all do.
1: I'll have it all fixed by tomorrow.
0: By tomorrow. <laughs> by <Steve>. tomorrow. <laughs> <Excuse me. laughs> um, so I took some really cryptic notes. I'll clean them up so they look like English. Okay. I'll send them your way, but I would love to hear from you in a few days how things are starting out. And then uh-huh. we'll touch base a little further down the road and you can fill me in on how things are progressing.
1: Sure. Thank you so much. I so appreciate this.
0: Anytime. It was great to get to meet you. I look forward to now. I like want to hear how all this goes once you start putting it together. (laughs) So there's going to be bumps. You're going to try some stuff. It's going to blow up in your face. You're going to try other stuff and be surprised how easily it came together. So don't, don't try and about a thousand. Don't try and be like, I'm going to be the perfect recovery person. Just do your best. Try and get a little bit further each week than you were the week before.
1: Okay. I will do it.
0: Awesome. All right. I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. I do
1: appreciate it. Bye-bye.
0: So now we have a bit more insight into the emotions and the thoughts that have Julie so stuck in this pattern. She's being held practically pinned down by three big bullies, past memories, current imaginary judgments from other people and her own shame. The action items that I gave her today, are more than I would typically recommend someone try to do all at once. But any of them are a good place to start if you share some of the same bullies with Julie. We talked about pushing herself to eat in front of people, any food, any time. We also spoke about letting go of imagining that other people are thinking awful things about her. And I hope that she'll start to notice the ways that people really do show acceptance show that they like her and that they aren't very concerned, let alone disgusted, by what she's eating. We also talked about framing her old memories of things she heard growing up as being unfortunate opinions and held only by a couple individuals. They don't reflect Julie's values or the values of the current people in her life. I recommended writing down some of her thoughts when she feels ready to work on decreasing that black or white thinking. Another thing we touched on was aiming for a moderate intake of treats, instead of the all-or-nothing approach, where she cuts sugar out completely and then goes overboard. We want to stay away from a feast or famine approach and try to achieve something that's stable and moderate. I emailed Julie to check in a couple days after our call, and she had made some bold moves already. Here's what she said. I'm so glad we spoke. Taking the time to put my thoughts, experiences, and feelings into words and say them out loud was a giant freeing step for me. When I came downstairs to my husband, who was cooking dinner at the time, I felt physically light on my feet, almost a sense of relief or joy because I knew I had a game plan. So thank you for that. I opened up to my husband and told him some of the hateful thoughts that I imagined him saying. Of course, he was completely shocked, but oh, so supportive. I've also made a concentrated effort to eat my evening snacks in front of him. So instead of having half a box while hiding in the pantry, I took two into the den and sat on the couch next to him while I ate them. And then I actually said, I'm going to have two more. Are you okay with that? Of course he was, and he even said he'd bring me the whole box if I wanted. But what I noticed was instead of downing the entire box in secret, I just ate four in front of him and was essentially satisfied. It did cross my mind to grab two or four more and just keep going. But I wasn't really hungry, and I no longer had a desire for something sweet. To have eaten those extra cookies would have been a perfect example of the rebellion you spoke of against that judge in my head. Screw you, if I want a box of cookies, I can have a box of cookies. Don't tell me what to eat. When in all actuality, I didn't really want any more. So that's my baby step. I'm going to be eating my sweets in the great wide open from now on. Well, she calls it a baby step, but I think Julie made some pretty bold, big leaps out of the gate. I'm really excited to hear from her. I'll check in in a couple weeks, and hopefully she's continuing to make some progress. If you like what you heard today, please consider leaving a review for the show. Subscribe at georgiefear.com slash podcast to hear all the recorded one-on-one sessions. And until next time, be good to yourself. You deserve nothing but love and support, and I believe in you.